0: The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. All right. Well, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, This is Tyler Douglas. I am here with the indomitable Clay Christensen. What does that even mean? I don't even know. Is that different from abominable? Uh, it is a little bit. Are you a yeti? I'm not even sure. So let's jump right in today. So for years we've claimed that strong culture leads to so- strong operations, which leads to financial success. That seems like such an awkward sequitur.
1: <laughs> Ab- abominable to <laughs> indomitable to. So no, anyway, sorry. So keep going. Financial success. <laughs>
0: I think we're gonna have to cut that part out. No,
1: oh, I thought I we just, had some good.
0: Stuff. No, we're we're good. We'll, we'll we'll leave it in. All right. So for years we've claimed that strong culture leads to strong operations which leads to financial success but the debate becomes it every time does it always happen that yeah,
1: way Yeah like you've seen the tree right Yeah or the the stool or the and 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 you know they say all right if you have a strong culture always you're going to have financial and and clinical success right So is that true what do you think about that <laughs> is it always true or is it not <laughs> I like I think my initial answer was always because it was, was supposed to be true um, that, that yes, you will always have financial and clinical success if you have strong culture, right? Because that's what we believe in. We believe that, that culture is, is the base. Then as I think a little bit deeper and I start thinking, okay, there are facilities that have – they love working together. They have what you would consider strong culture – but, but they don't have financial success yet. And so then I start thinking, well, well, no, maybe, maybe that's not true. But then, see how I'm what I'm doing here? Like I'm that. going I'm going a little bit deeper and and I start thinking, okay, well, what is strong culture? And and that's where I I want to make sure in this podcast, sort of the purpose of this podcast is to differentiate strong culture, from Twinkie culture? Because I think my answer is yes. If we have true strong culture, it will always lead to clinical and financial success.
0: So, Clay, tell me about this Twinkie culture, because it sounds delicious, yeah. <laughs> but I'm guessing you're going to tell me it's bad for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, it's it's just a term that I made up, and maybe it's not a perfect analogy, But but you think about what a Twinkie is. It's it's sweet. It's, it's delicious. It makes me feel happy and kind of like a kid when I eat it. But no real nutrients, right? Um, it's, there, there's no real health benefit to my body other than it temporarily makes me happy. Um, but, but, but the person whose diet, I mean, I want you to think about who is truly happy. You've got the person whose diet is a steady intake of Twinkies, right? Oh, feel good. taste good. Or the person who has a healthy diet with exercise and an occasional Twinkie. Right? Who is, who is really happier? In fact, it makes me think of this. Uh, it's this sort of an analogy. And, and, I, and a man I knew told of a story. I think it was Wyoming or Montana or something like that in the 70s or 80s. Huge winter storm threatening to kill a lot of the wildlife there. and an effort, in a, in a you know, good-intentioned effort to save some of the deer and other animals, hay was airlifted in so that they could eat. So when the storm subsided and, and people were able to explore the land, they found a bunch of deer dead, but with their bellies full of hay. And, you know, the person that was telling this story said they were given a bunch of food to fill their bellies, but no nutrients. Does that make sense? And so they were given something to satisfy their bodies and 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 they perished because they didn't have any true nutrients. This is my point with Twinkie culture. And and don't misunderstand me. I'm a big believer in fun. I think it's an important part of what we do in all of our operations. Huge fan. We had the fun theory, right? I mean, all of that stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan. But fun does not equal culture. It's It's a simple, small part of it. With a lot of other parts that need to be mixed in. If you want your teams to learn, to grow, it's kind of like the alfalfa and the hay, right? Now I sound like a farmer. I sound like I know what I'm talking about, right? It's the alfalfa and the hay that that are going to give the nutrients. There needs to be more. But please don't mistake culture with Twinkie culture. So I'm
0: glad you clarified that because I was worried you were going to kill fun. No. Which would be really depressing.
1: Yeah. And I'm not killing Twinkies either. You I have, can have them a little bit. I have a couple in my fridge in my office.
0: So basically what you're saying is if you think you have strong culture because you have fun at work, that doesn't necessarily get you there. You, It's possible that you may have a, a, a Twinkie culture. So what are some of the other parts of, of that diet? Like, are you telling me I need to eat a, a kale or a spinach Twinkie? Yeah,
1: no. So oh, that sounds disgusting. I just <laughs> threw up in my mouth a little bit. No, I I look... I don't think I can give a comprehensive answer to that question, right? There, there are so many things that, that we could be talking about, but, but consider this. Because, again, when we say our culture is strong, we always think, yeah, we get along and we're, we're happy and we have fun and we play games. Okay, we'll take that as a small – that's like the dessert in our, in our culture, right? Do you have a culture of transparency and vulnerability? versus do you have a culture of keeping information guarded and not admitting mistakes and, and seeking to hide them? You know, there's a, there's a quote. <laughs> don't speak French, okay? There's a man named Francois La Roquefoc I don't even, R-O- I'm not even going to spell it. It's really long. I, I thought you were Isn't that a kind uh, of cheat? Probably. Anyway, this guy says, almost all our faults are more pardonable than the methods we think up to hide them, right? So some facilities have, even if they have a culture of having fun and all of those things, they might combine that with a culture of sort of hiding things from each other or or what, what I would consider to be kind of a, a false camaraderie because we're not willing to confront people on difficult issues, and that's a culture, right? So does your culture have people freely admitting their mistakes? Have you developed a culture of peer accountability where coworkers both praise and correct their coworkers? There's another thing. Do you, have, do you have a culture of healthy conflict where people feel completely comfortable to speak up in meetings? Or, you know, the contrast to that, you know, when you don't have healthy conflict in meetings, you have what I call the meetings after the meeting. Right. You have the meeting. Nobody speaks up. And then it's, can you believe they said that's what we're going to do? And I can't believe that's going to. And, and you have what's called the meeting after the meeting. Um, do you have a culture of, of talking to one another or is your culture more one of talking about one another? Right. Do you have a culture of pride in where you work and, and where you feel a sense of mission? Uh, you know, they know what their green and clean is and, and they're really anxious to achieve it. Uh, Do you have a culture that tolerates losses or is your culture one that doesn't accept failure and where peers push each other until they've become the employer and facility of choice? So, Clay, you just asked a lot of questions. Yeah. A lot of questions. Oh, I could keep going. I'm sure you could. Yeah. But my
0: question is, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm in an operation or, you know, I'm working on something. That's a lot of stuff to go through. How do I how do I pare that down to what's most important for my operation or, or my department?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's as a leader. And I have said this a lot that that if you if you look at everything that you have to do, it becomes overwhelming. You just curl up in the fetal position and, and you know, I may have done that once or twice. Panic, right? Yeah. So it's it's figuring out what you are going to be obsessed with. And then focusing on on those fewer things and then obsessing over them. The best leaders that I know just pick one or two things. We are going – for example, you might pick peer accountability. We're not going to have an organization where people run to a title and complain and hope the title will solve all of those problems. We are going to create a culture of peer accountability. And this is how we're going to do it, right? It's And that's why I go back to saying true culture – because a true culture doesn't have a tolerance for losses, so you're not going to have those losses. But true culture is really hard to maintain, right? I, my point in this podcast is wanting to differentiate for us in our mind this idea that, that culture is all about fun and kindness, and culture has everything to do with accountability and difficult discussions. And, and I mean, I've, I've had culture—I I myself have had a culture of making up excuses for my failures, Right. I, I love this quote by a man. His, uh, his name was Spencer Kimball since since deceased. He says, any excuse for non-performance, no matter how valid, weakens character. What do you think about that? Any. So, look, I bet most of our operations have a culture of making excuses because we're protect we protect ourselves with excuses and and. Versus, you know, the different side is a culture of brutal facts. Yes, these are realities that we need to confront, but we need to overcome. Uh, cultures of high standards, uh, high expectations, and those that we hire, um, you know, versus the culture of, hey, you've got a pulse and a degree, and and we need people desperately, so we'll hire you. All of those things are culture. I mean, as I said, I could go on and on, and and, but but uh, everyone. Look, everyone listening right now is in a culture, whether it's good or bad. You're part of a culture, whether it's fostering or diminishing, it's your culture. And while Twinkies are delicious, it's not enough to establishing a healthy culture. And and having a healthy culture is essential for success. So going back to your original question, can you have a strong culture and still be unsuccessful? If you're asking about Twinkie culture, then yes you can. But if you're talking about real strong culture, then I'd say no, because if you have a culture of success, then you'll succeed by definition. And I, I you know, you've maybe heard me say this, and I can't remember which book I read this in. I, I think it was one of the Disney books, If Disney Ran Your Hospital or something like that. But it, but it used the phrase, and I completely agree with this, culture eats strategy for lunch every day of the week. So you eat strategy for lunch every day. So I'm not. I'm not culture.
0: <laughs> culture
1: <laughs> eats strategy for
0: lunch. <laughs> Don't eat Twinkies. Eat strategy.
1: That's right. I mean, think about the difference between culture yeah. and strategy. What they are. Culture is your environment. It's a, and honestly, as leaders, you know, we talk about how Ensign sort of has a, a servant leadership mentality. Um, I, I was talking to Amon Dinger the other day, and he he shared an article with me. And I agree with this. It, it, it's it's really it should be host leadership. A host establishes an environment where people can thrive and succeed. And so so really, a culture is all about being a host. It's creating an environment where people can thrive. So it's almost
0: like your way of being, who you are at your very core, yeah. how you interact.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and how you are with each other. And, and that's why all your strategies are, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. The wrong culture will eat strategy for lunch every day of the week. Delicious. <laughs> I think you're missing my point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can just keep distracting me. So tell me more about what you mean by that. So what are some other ways that, how can we combat that?
1: Uh, let me give you an example. And I, this book I read... Um, and I, again, I, I still think this is the, the Disney book. I, I should have verified all this before before doing this podcast. But imagine you have a strategy in your facility and your strategy is uh, we are always going to ask the resident if there's anything else they need before leaving them. I mean, think about Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A has all these strategies when somebody says thank you we're going to say my pleasure it's my pleasure when somebody asks for a refill they they change it to we're going to refresh your beverage they have a strategy of the language that they're going to use but imagine they have that without the culture right so so let's say we're in a facility and and the rule is the strategy is you always have to ask the resident if there's anything else they need before leaving them right so that's your rule you teach it you spread it Now, here's how it plays out in a poor culture, right? So a housekeeper trying to follow this rule says, is there anything else you need? The patient says, I'm in a lot of pain. I think I need my meds. So the housekeeper says, I'll go get the nurse to help you. And he leaves and goes and talks to the nurse. So the housekeeper then says to the nurse, Mr. Smith is in a lot of pain. He says he needs his meds. Now, here's where the wrong culture starts to eat this strategy for lunch. The nurse says, and you can imagine this being true, the nurse says, I'm really quite busy right now. You don't need to worry about it. They have a call light that they can use. Okay? The strategy was implemented. The rule was set up. The person tried to follow it, and then it crashed up against bad culture. What will eventually happen to this housekeeper? The next time they ask, right, the patient. They're not going to ask the question. They're not going to go back to the nurse. But she knows the strategy. Yeah. Right. But but the culture will will kill it. Um, I have told a story recently and, uh, going to a Raising Cane's and and uh, you ever eaten a Raising Cane's a little chicken? My kids love their sauce. Oh, they have good sauce. Stuff. It's delicious. This message is not sponsored by Raising Cane's. Uh, but but I, I pulled up to the drive through. And they had a strategy of saying something. I honestly can't remember what they said, but I remember being so corny. And the girl said, hey, welcome to Raising Cane's. I hope you have a quickie cheeky day or something like that. And I just cringed because she was not into it. She was applying a strategy without the culture, and it was it was incredibly uncomfortable. She hadn't bought into it. She hadn't bought into it, nor, nor do I think she should have bought into it. It was a really, really corny <laughs> thing. Um, so, so, okay, so let's take the same scenario and let's put it into, you know, a strong culture. So the housekeeper, you know, says, is there anything else you need? I'm in a lot of pain. I need my meds. So the housekeeper goes to the nurse, Mrs., Mr. Smith is in a lot of pain. He says he needs his meds. Now the nurse with the right culture says something like, Hi. I'm Janet. I don't think I've met you before. Are you new here? Yeah, today's my first day. I'm Samantha. Well, welcome to our facility, Samantha. I I hope we make you feel welcome here. Thank you so much for telling me about Mr. Smith. We all need to be the eyes and ears that we can get around here. You see the difference here? There's, there's, there's a totally different culture. So then the nurse goes in and says, hey, our new housekeeper, Samantha, told me you needed your medication. Did you know today's her first day? She seems nice, right? <laughs> and, and just that change, that whole change in attitude, that feeling of g- culture of, of getting the right people on board and saying the right things and being kind. Culture will eat strategy for lunch every day of the week. So we've got to hire for culture, and we've got to teach culture, and we've got to reward culture. Otherwise, the strategies all die.
0: So you, you give us two kind of unique scenarios, and I'd say they're they at opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I think in reality, sometimes you're going to be in that, that gray area in somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I've seen is, so as we bring people into the organization, we teach them about culture and, and you know, how things should work. And, and then they go out and start to experience it a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes they may be interacting with someone who who isn't at that same point when it comes to accepting and embracing the culture. And so one of the concerns that I have or that happens is that that, that scenario one, that's what happens to a new person. They yeah. say, hey, this is what I've been said we do. We yeah. go out and then we don't actually do it. And so that that housekeeper isn't going to go out again and they're not going to do that so how do we combat that because that's one of the questions i have is is it just that we need to to talk to the housekeeper and say look we're not perfect at culture yeah but we try really hard at it and we talk about it and we want you to help us make it better
1: yeah i you hear christopher talk about this a lot or, or or used to um and he would say, be very careful about teaching culture before you've implemented the culture, because to teach it and tout it when you're not living it is is worse than not teaching it at all. Uh, you know, it's a it's a, a horrible demonstration of hypocrisy. But but the hard thing about that is I start, I start to say, yeah, but but we're not perfect in it. So I think the important thing is when we do our trainings that we don't say this is who we are, right? I mean, the core values of Caplico, that's not who we are. That's the behavior by which we are going to hold each other accountable. And I think that's what we need to make sure that we're teaching, that we're saying, look, we know I'm not perfect at love one another. I'm not great at customer second. I'm not very good at at passion for learning, Uh, but but. That is still how I should hold myself and others should hold me accountable. Those are the behaviors. In fact, we'll get into this as we get into the advantage. And, and, and he says, we need to clarify, you know, how we're going to hold each other accountable. So when you teach it, just make sure you teach it with that understanding. Here's our reality. Here's where we are. If I'm interviewing a person, I don't say we love one another and we are customer. This is who we are trying to be. We are not perfect, but we're hoping you will help us get there.
0: No, that's a great differentiation, thanks Clay. So I, I think that helps me understand culture a lot better. I mean, culture is a buzzword that that yeah. we use, and I think sometimes we we don't necessarily understand what it means because so I, we say it a lot, right? Yeah.
1: What's the most important thing here? Culture? What does that mean? The environment? The world? What?
0: <laughs> no. And I've been on in situations where I, I've had different team members be like, "Well, this person isn't living the culture, and that person isn't living the culture," and I'm like, "I think if if we're looking at it from that yeah. perspective, none of us are living the culture. Yeah. So we,
1: we need to." They're living a culture. Yeah. It's true, and how much of it coincides with the culture that we're going to hold ourselves accountable to. So, and it kind of reminds me,
0: like you mentioned, the the advantage by Patrick Lincioni. Yeah. So the advantage. Love how you say his
1: name accurately?
0: It took me years. You Twenty taught, years later, I, I finally got it down. <laughs> so the advantage is all about a team with a strong culture um, will always be more effective than a team with smarts but poor poor culture.
1: So is that right? Is that that, the book Yeah, that's the theory. I mean, the whole theory of the book is that the single greatest advantage any company can achieve is organizational health. Um, You know, he talks about how successful organizations rarely have anything to do with how smart they are and more to do with how healthy they are. Right? Because he thinks that healthy organizations get smarter over time. They recover quickly, they learn from mistakes, whereas an unhealthy organization of smart people are much more capable of making dumb decisions right so so if you have a group of a students that are unhealthy that backbite that that don't confront each other on issues that talk about each other instead of to each other he said you'll always do better with a group of b and c students who are open and vulnerable and transparent and 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 that's that's the idea the the advantage um you know and i and i think if i said that When I do trainings and I ask this question of leaders, they they all seem to verbally agree, like yeah, organizational health, we believe in that culture. But when I ask what you're doing to intentionally build organizational health, ah, I don't really have time for this stuff. I'm putting out fires. We're eating Twinkies. We're eating Twinkies, right? We're we're well, but and I also think too that you know maybe they're they're saying, I don't have time for these parties. Because remember, they're they're equating the culture to Twinkie culture, right? Yeah. This stuff, uh, you know, by this stuff, it basically means these small little things that a leader can do to achieve organizational health. And, and again, I want to be clear on this because I'm not good at any of this stuff. Like I when I ran facilities, I was really big on culture but i'm not really good on the touchy feely ropes courses trust falls you know other things like that that are that people would consider team building exercises so I,
0: you're you're saying if we did a trust fall you probably wouldn't catch I me
1: probably, i you know i'd catch people's attention by not catching <laughs> you right so so here's what lencioni says he says it, it this culture stuff and then here's the quote it is not a side dish or a flavor enhancer uh, of the real meat and potatoes of the business, it is the very plate upon which the meat and potatoes sit. Okay,
0: so if it's so important, and we all agree and everyone agrees that it's so important, why don't we take the time to develop our culture?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, in the book, one CEO was asked, why don't their competitors try to, to copy them, right? And And he says, his answer was, they think it's beneath them. They think look I can sometimes tell when people get it based on their response to my function in this organization. If if you see this as oh that's cute and this is that's the soft and cuddly but but we need to do the real work then we're misunderstanding again what what true culture is and that's if you get nothing out of this podcast but one thing it's the differentiation between this idea of twinkie culture this soft cuddly makes you feel good stuff versus what it's like to lead, what it's like to have functional teams. I mean, you and I did, a, you know, the the podcast on five dysfunctions of a team. That's all culture, how we respond to each other, the vulnerability, the, the healthy conflict, how committed we are, uh, the peer accountability and, and attention to results and all those things. So the book says there are three biases that tend to prevent, you know, organizations from achieving culture. Um, you know, just in three words, he says, sophistication, adrenaline and quantification. So, so sophistication, we sort of just talked about it. It seems too simple to provide any real advantage. We're we're going to go really work on other stuff versus actually taking the time to get to know each other. Uh, adrenaline, you know, he says it's a marathon, not a sprint. The, the one adrenaline shot won't do it. It's not like we can go have one meeting and establish culture. It's di- any more than you can go to the gym one time and get in great shape, right? It has to be a consistent habit, and and people are looking for sort of that adrenaline shot. And then the last one is quantification, and, and this is it's hard. It's 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 difficult to quantifiably measure organizational health. I mean, we're learning right now that even turnover isn't necessarily a a perfect. Um, Example or or quantification of of how strong a culture is.
0: So so how do we overcome these three biases? So now that we can at least identify them and be cognizant of them, what's the next step? How do we overcome those?
1: Yeah, it's I mean, look, I mean, just look at each of them. It's it's saying, okay, I'm willing to do the simple things. That's going to help me overcome the sophistication. Um I'm I'm willing to be consistent. Uh I, one of the things that I like that the learning and development team has has established is every couple of weeks there is a meeting where all it is is we're we're discussing, you know, a, a chapter from a book and where we find our weaknesses. We're not talking about tickets, we're not talking about any of those things. And and, and you know, if you if you think back, those of you that heard the history of Ensign podcast, um Christopher talked about the experience of our first CFO that had this very complaint that this organization is spending too much time talking about this stuff and not doing quote unquote the real work right and and then he said he still has contact with this former CFO and he says it's a great great uh uh regret of his life right having having left and and um not stayed with something and then the quantification um you know, I, I think we need to do our best to quantify it. I think I think we need to do uh employee feedback scoring and we need to look at our, our turnover and other things like that, because as he says in three signs of a miserable job, immeasurement is one of those signs of a miserable job.
0: No, I, I totally agree. That's that's a great, great thoughts on on how we can overcome those. So I, I know in the book, um, Patrick talks about uh, four simple things that that we can do yeah. to really create this advantage. So, yeah. so, so walk me through those.
1: Yeah. So the funny thing is, there's one, and then there's three that are all related, kind of around one thing. The one is is build a cohesive leadership team, right? This this is right along with along with Jim Collins. First, who, then what? Get the right people in the right seats on the bus. Build a cohesive team. And then two through four are, are create clarity, over-communicate clarity, and reinforce clarity. Clarity, clarity, clarity. Get the right team. Clarity, 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 right? Let me just say this on on the first one. Building a cohesive and a strong team is a choice. It's, it doesn't just happen. It's not just about luck. Sometimes we feel like, well, I just, you know, I just got this team and I'm just lucky because we all get along. You have to prioritize this. You have to, uh, to have the discipline to say no to the wrong people. Um, you know, we've had a lot of podcasts that talk about this, but especially the one we did on five dysfunctions of a team, creating vulnerability based trust that will lead to healthy conflict. And, and then when people are heard, they will become more committed. And when they're more committed, they'll they'll hold each other accountable. And when that happens, we all pay attention to results. You remember talking about that, right? No, no, I do. And, yeah. you know,
0: it, it, as we talk about building that cohesive team, one of the things that really stands out to me is I, I think early on in with the organization, when I would make a mistake about bringing the right person onto the organization... I wasn't as quick as I needed to be about making that change and and we you talk about that in the five dysfunction of a team where one person can really derail an entire team. Yeah. A, and so making sure that that we are identifying that we have the right people on the team and when we've identified someone isn't the right person help make the changes that need to be made so that, that you have the right people on the team otherwise
1: i think it's going to impact the rest of your team yeah especially with that first one right that vulnerability based trust when you have when you have one person that makes it hard to be vulnerable everybody sort of clams up okay so let's let's jump in so that's building a cohesive leadership
0: team yeah. so the, the rest of them kind of talk about clarity so it, and how do we do that yeah, And why is it important? To, for, why is that such a key part in establishing a strong culture?
1: I, I, I think one of my favorite quotes from uh, the late, great Stephen Covey is, is frustration is a function of expectation. That's just been such an epiphany for me in my life. It, clarifying expectations is so essential if you want to minimize frustration right? That that you have absolute clarity as to why you exist. And and then you create alignment by answering. And, and what Lencioni gives is these six critical questions. And, and by the way, these are not easy. I, I do this practice. I, I'm going up to Washington in a couple of weeks. We're going to do this practice with one of our new business ventures. Uh, I've done this practice with Meravik and her team. These questions are not easy to answer. But I'll tell you, When Ensign was first formed, they spent a lot of time, long before they ever earned a single dollar, clarifying the answers to these questions. Um, And again, to the complaint of of, uh, the first CFO. So question number one, why do we exist? That's something that every person in your organization or on your team needs to know. What is your core purpose? What is your why? This is something that does not change. Why does Ensign exist? To dignify post-acute care through the, in the eyes of the world through moments of truth, right? That's why they exist. That's the core purpose. So that's question number one. Why do we exist? Question number two, how do we behave? This is the small set of behavioral values, right? We like to call them core values, right? How, how do we behave and how do we? These lie at the heart of the organization's identity, and they don't change over time and i'll tell you they did they spent a lot of time i mean they debated love one another and and you know there there was they were adamant that you know it not be changed to respect one another or get along with one another they said this is how we are going to behave and this is how we're going to hold each other accountable when we're not behaving so why do we exist how do we behave now the n- third question is well what do we do this is not, this is a, a, a simple question, not, nothing flowery. It's not a mission statement. We care for the vulnerable. We, we are going to provide post-acute care. We provide transportation services or x-ray services. This is what we do. Um, this is sort of the organization's business definition, The the what. And if it ever does change, it would change very infrequently, right? So we've got the why, the how, and the what. Now the question is, how will we succeed? Identifying that. This, this is strategy, right? The, the first three were sort of establishing our culture. Now the, by the fourth, we're, we're to our strategy. What is our plan for success? Um, this kind of your green and clean. We know we're succeeding if this is happening, Right. Um, and, and, you know, that can change a little bit as, as landscape shift and, and other, and market conditions change, but, but it's probably rarely going to change. So then once you've established those four, now you're into the question of what is most important right now? This sort of goes to your question earlier, right? Like, okay, you've got a hundred different things you can do to establish culture. And I'm saying, okay, but what are you going to be obsessed with right now? Right now in our organization, we're pretty obsessed with customer second. We've got an incredible labor crunch. There's there's people that are struggling and nurses are overworked and CNAs are, are tired and administrators and DONs and and we've gotta figure out uh, what is most important right now and it kind of rally cries right? We've had Midwest rally cries. We've had census growth rally cries. I feel like right now we're in the, the bit of a, a, a customer second rally cry. That's most important right now. And then finally, the, the last one is is, okay, and who's going to do what? Now let's say, all right, what are we accountable for? It's time to clarify what everyone else does and ensure all critical areas are covered. So why do we exist? How are we going to behave? What do we do? How do we know if we're succeeding, and how will we succeed? What's most important right now, and who's going to do what? That's the clarification that needs to be established.
0: Okay, so so that's the, you're saying that's the clarity that, that that's we need the to establish. clarity. Yeah. After we we have our cohesive leadership team, and then we're going to establish that clarity. You yeah. know, as we talk about that clarity, it reminds me of a conversation we were having the other day um, about there's some operations out there that I think do an amazing job about creating and establishing that that clarity. Yeah. North Mountains one, for example. Yeah. We were talking about, you know, the measurements that that they put into place and, and how the team really understands, you know, what they need to do, how they need to do it. And they're all passionate about it. I think Barry said he went into the break room to kind of look at this. They have a, see a the scoreboard. They yeah. have a scoreboard and there were employees and they're looking at the scoreboard and looking at it at the things that that are really the things
1: that establish clarity for their success. That's their green and clean. Yeah. They, they know what it is. They know why they exist. Whereas with some, I mean, if I'm a leader and I'm listening to this podcast right now, I'm asking myself, one, do I know the answers to these questions? Why I exist and how we're going to hold each other accountable, et cetera. And then secondly, do my teams know the answers to these questions?
0: All right. So everyone knows why you exist and what you're trying to do and how you are how you get there. So that's the real culture that we're talking about yeah. today. That's that, that strong culture. And you're saying that the next steps are to over-communicate clarity and then yeah. to, to reinforce it. So how do you do each of those?
1: Yeah, you know, I get mocked for this a lot. Oh, Clay, you've done that training, or Clay, I've heard you say that before. And, and I always feel bad. I almost don't want to repeat myself, and, and it's a little bit embarrassing for me. The only way for people to embrace a message is to hear it over a period of time in a variety of situations from different people right? Lencioni says this, I like this, that leaders, every leader is a CRO, a chief reminding officer. Um, The the top two priorities are to set the direction of the organization and then make sure that people are reminded of that direction on a regular basis. That's your job as a leader. This is where we're going. Hey, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. This is what we're trying to do. And you do come off as repetitive, but but then it's just really important to reinforce it structurally. Right. We we uh, the, the podcast on having more effective meetings. It was one of the first podcasts. I don't remember which episode, but but it was based on Lencioni's book on death by meeting. Um, but just a few things that he recommends. Right. That we need to have daily check ins right kind of like a stand up meeting in a facility we need to do that daily 10 minutes just quick then we need to have a weekly maybe a tactical staff meeting where we say okay what are we doing most effectively what do we need to change then then you know longer meetings every month maybe an ad hoc kind of topical meeting okay customer service needs to be improved what do we need to do and then finally quarterly offsite reviews uh, maybe for a couple of days where we're saying okay let's let's uh you know recalibrate our vision and see what we're trying to do he believes that we need to have more meetings just more targeted right to avoid meetings stew and and so in those meetings you're just constantly reinforcing that clarity right And, and and we can't just we can't just sit down. I mean, the founders of our organization didn't just establish the core values and then hope everybody remembered it. We talk about it agnosium. We, we, we're constantly reinforcing it. And, yeah, it might sound repetitive, but it's essential for them to under for everyone to understand this is what we believe in and this is how we're going to hold each other accountable. All right. So, so I remember that
0: in that podcast that he pushes for more and more focused meetings. And, and thanks for talking us through that, that real culture versus the the Twinkie culture, yeah. as well as sharing, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on the book Advantage. Um, you know, I, I guess one of the, the other things is, is I think about. Establishing that clarity and then reinforcing it over and over and over again. That can take time, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's something, a little tedious. Too. It, it, it can be like, yeah. I, and maybe this isn't a great example, but I, I think about the emergency fund. So we're we're about 13 years into the emergency fund. Mm. Um, you know, and for the first few years, you know, we had probably, you know, 15, 20% of, of the organization that was donating regularly to it. Mm. And we continue to communicate. Over and over and over again, and it became a, a part of of you know the the really the the founders, and I, I use the word founders like Christopher used it in the annual meeting. Of, yeah, it, it,
1: all of us anybody who's had yeah. that impact. Yeah,
0: and, and and that really became a part of who we are, and we've really seen the flywheel move, and, and because we we reminded that over and over and over again, and we
1: taught the so company. it hovered with that mount for a while, yeah. fifteen to twenty percent, and then just started to it the did, flywheel it, started to turn. I That's don't know that there was anything specific that that changed. I think people just got it. it. Aren't you that way, though? Don't you? It, haven't you, like, started doing something, like, after the 11th time you've heard it, and you're like, I should probably start doing that, because that message <laughs> is not—I'm that way. Yeah. I need to hear something a lot of times before I get it through my, my stupid brain that, that, hey, that's something that I should do. And I and I, I just—I feel like—I feel like that's human nature, Yet yet as a trainer— I'm like, oh, I've already given this message, so I don't want to do it again. And he's saying, no, you've got to embrace this message, and 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 other people need to give it. And, and don't worry if if somebody else already did a training on this, do it again. People need to hear it again, and it's okay to hear it again. I look, we we I think we all agree. I, I doubt there's a very large percentage of people listening to this that don't agree that a healthy organization is a huge advantage, right? Less politics, right? We hate mm-hmm. politics. Less confusion. High morale. Uh, people feel like they're part of a winning team. And and uh, you have l- low turnover of your good employees. People are vulnerable and transparent. All the things that we've talked about. Fear of conflict. Um, you Just all of these things matter. Um, conflict, I, I know we, I probably over talk about conflict, but I've, I've just felt for a long time that, that the organization does not have enough good, healthy conflict. I feel like- Let's, let's stop there for a yeah. second. And cause I think it's
0: important to clarify this. How would you define healthy conflict?
1: I think healthy conflict is the passionate pursuit of truth void of ego. The ego is the key, right? Ego is what makes the conflict unhealthy. And unfortunately I have an ego, right? I mean, it makes healthy conflict very difficult. I fight for my ideas. If I'm insulted or my ideas insulted, I take things personally and, and the ego is what I need to learn to get rid of. But if I can just learn to become obsessed with, with the, the truth and the best idea, when somebody else destroys my idea with a better idea, I'm going to be happy and excited for that because I know that I'm getting closer to the truth. Right. And if and if if people are heard, then they're they're, you know, like the the five dysfunctions say, when when people are heard, they are much more committed. They they buy in because they've been able to weigh in. Right. But if we don't weigh in, we tend to not buy in. It doesn't even mean we have to go with our idea. I just need to be heard. I just need to know that I have a voice in that debate. And and I just I don't think that a team can achieve commitment without that kind of conflict. Um, Lencioni says this, he says, when leadership teams wait for consensus before taking action, they usually end up with decisions that are made too late and are mildly disagreeable to everyone. Right. That's that, that's this. Uh, OK, well, let's take a little bit of everybody's. No, the empo- the point of the conflict is for everyone to be heard and then the leader will decide. That's why Intel's philosophy is disagree, then commit.
0: No, and, and I think the next part of that is he says this is a recipe for mediocrity and frustration. And yeah. Those are some harsh words. Yeah. If you want to be mediocre, he's he's
1: giving you the. the but it's game because plan you're satisfying that. everybody, right? You're, yeah, it's politics. Does this? Okay, we'll throw this into the bill. We'll throw that into the bill, and we're left with this giant bill that everybody hates equally. <laughs> Isn't that compromise? <laughs> that's and that's what that's what compromise is. So, you know, I, you know, we get it. We talk about accountability, peer-to-peer accountability. I love the quote, to hold someone accountable is to care about them enough to risk having them blame you for pointing out their deficiencies, right? And, and, and how we need to be good with behavioral accountability. And the last thing I, I, I sort of want to mention here, and I, I apologize, I know I'm, I'm rambling a lot, but he talks about something that he calls the fundamental attribution error, I am totally guilty of this. I know it sounds like a funky name, the fundamental attribution error. And here's what he says. So the tendency of human beings is to attribute the negative or frustrating behaviors of their colleagues to their intentions and personality. Okay, so why do they do? Well, because they have bad intentions and, and they have a bad personality, et cetera while attributing their own negative or frustrating behaviors to environmental factors. Well, you made me do that. You made me so angry. Or he caused me to do that. or what do you expect me to do when this happens to me? So, environment causes my problems. Your bad personality and your bad intentions causes your problems. Why are you problems. pointing at me when you say that? <laughs> right? <laughs> we we distrust each other, but we want to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Right? This is something that we've got when, when when we're more humble. You know, listen to the last uh, the podcast on on personal humility and and level five leadership. When we're more humble, we're going to seek more to understand the you know immortal words of of Stephen or Stephen Covey, uh seek first to understand, then to be understood. But but too often we're seeking first to be understood, and uh, and that's again. The fundamental attribution error is we ascribe all these negative, you know, the, the, your personality and your, you know, all the other things, your bad intentions. That's your problem. But my problem is my environment. It's sort of the opposite of the window of the mirrors, right?
0: Yeah, no, and it, it's a little reminiscent if you think back to the principles in leadership and self-deception. I think that that ties in really nicely with, with that. Yeah. All right, Clay. So final question here. What would you recommend to a team other than establishing and reinforcing clarity that wants to create true vulnerability and transparency as they try to build a real, yeah. not a Twinkie culture?
1: Like there's a really interesting, uh, consider doing this with your team. Just, I'm, I'm going to leave you with this little nugget. Maybe it's a good, you know, team uh, building exercise, you know, rather than doing a trust fall or a ropes course. Try, try this. Get together as a team. Have everyone write down one thing that every member of that team does to make the team better. Okay, it's nice, fluffy, feels good. That's an easy thing to do. Well, and and we're not talking about um, you know technical skills, but but some way that each other person in that group behaves that behaves right. This behavioral that that helps the team then ask everyone to do the same thing but to mention a behavior that sometimes hurts the team okay so you're just writing this down now create a safe space to do this right i mean you're saying this is i'm asking you to share we need to have the humility everybody nobody's perfect right everybody's it's so easy for everybody to say well nobody's perfect i'm not perfect it's when we get specific that it gets painful and it gets difficult right? So create a safe space and then start with the leader. Start with the leader. I think this is really important too. Have everyone report on one positive characteristic of the leader. Hopefully they're humbled and moved and grateful. Then go around the room again and ask them to share one thing that they need to improve to help the team. That that leader needs to improve. Some of you might be cringing. It's a little bit scary, right? Let the leader provide a brief reaction, not a rebuttal, but a reaction and often you'll find it's going to be acceptance and, and appreciation and 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 then do this for everyone on the team if the leader handles this right everyone else on the team is going to, i'm i'm sorry that that's how I've been behaving. I want to be better. I want to. I I, I received a fairly brutal email yesterday, and, and you know my first reaction was to rebut it and debate it and say you're wrong here and you're wrong there. And eventually, when I typed out my response, it was I'm really sorry that I've acted this way. I want to be better. I hope that you'll help me. It's a ego swallowing, pride swallowing event that I think will help with vulnerability and transparency. When you have that you'll have strong culture and not Twinkie culture.
0: So I, I like the idea of this exercise. I think it's gutsy. <laughs> it kind of scares me a little bit though, yeah, yeah. Be- because it, it could go wrong,
1: right? If you have the wrong culture.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that's that's the key. But But I think not taking that intelligent risk making sure you have the right people, making sure you have the the right culture so that you can have these these vulnerable conversations, Yeah, I think that makes all the difference and is for, for me is one of the keys to our success as an organization. If
1: you're scared to do the practice, you've just said something about your culture of transparency and vulnerability and trust, right? And, and that's what we're trying to build. Again, the fun matters. It's good to have fun. I loved having fun as an administrator. I love having fun with my teams fun is just a small piece of the diet and and once the accountability and the transparency and the you know a hundred other things that we've listed get mixed in i think my answer to your first question is yeah you will ined- inevitably be successful
0: awesome well thank you so much clay you've given us a ton to think about when it comes to twinkie culture versus strong culture and some great concepts and and the advantage so thank you so much we'll talk to you all next time indomitable thank you indomitable <laughs>